Hello, friends. How y'all doing? Come on, you need to match my energy. How you doing? Maybe online you can match my energy more. How you doing? <laughs> Amazing. Happy New Year. We're in a new year. So uh, thank you so much, Nikki, um, for the introduction. So as Nikki said, I'm a curate here at HTB, and I'm also a part of the worship team. But believe it or not, um, growing up, I grew up in a Nigerian Pentecostal home. And, you know, my parents had an emphasis on prayer and worship. My parents and grandparents had an emphasis on prayer and worship that I just did not understand. I wasn't always a big fan of prayer and worship. And in my teen years, my day used to start at 4 a.m., not because I wanted to see the sunrise over the Croydon horizon, but because it was the time that my grandmother decided to activate her tambourine and her morning intercessions. And literally, Scripture says in Psalms 100, to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And it, my grandmother decided at 4 a.m. it was the appropriate time to, you know, live out that Scripture. And I'm not sure about the Lord, but for me, definitely, it wasn't a joyful sound. It was quite the opposite. So you can just imagine, after two hours of hearing my grandma intercede for every person from her township in Lagos, Nigeria... My, my parents afterwards would wake me up at 6 a.m. for our own family prayer. And I'll say to my mom and dad, I'll be like, mom and dad, listen, you know, grandma has already prayed for us. We don't need to, you know, we don't need to intercede anymore. And they'll be like, Wale, get up right now. And because I have the fear of God, I literally stood up. And, you know, there was this popular U.S. Um, gospel song that my family used to sing, that it used to start off our family prayer um, every morning. And it was called Every Praise. I don't know if anyone knows it. Literally goes like this. Every praise to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise to our God. I used to hate that song. <laughs> yes, it's a great song, but it literally got on my nerves to hear every praise every single morning. A song about celebration and exaltation to God. And guess what? I didn't really feel like singing a song of praise at 6 a.m. in the morning. I actually felt that a song of lament and weeping would have been more appropriate for the time. But because I don't pay the bills in, in the household, you know, I was like, okay, do you know what, I at least have to raise my voice and, and clap my hands because the joy of the Lord had to be my strength in this day. Until this very day, my grandparents and my parents still carry out this practice. They wake up 4 a.m., 6 a.m. praying for the family. And... I'm happy to say that I've moved out now, so I, <laughs> so I sleep a lot better. <laughs> I'm joking. I love you, mum and dad. Grandma, Grandma's Village, you guys are all amazing. But hallelujah, won't he do it? Thank you, Jesus. And you know, one thing I learned about, um, I learned from my grandparents and um, my parents is the power of persistence in prayer. You know, even for myself personally, my friends and I often, we meet up in the evening, a later time. 
and we pray for ourselves. We pray for our loved one. We pray for our families. We pray for different situations in our lives. And we've actually, actually have encountered so many things. We've had so many testimonies of God meeting us in our various needs, of God meeting people's financial needs, of God healing family members, of God healing tensions within our own households. And that's the power of prayer. And Jesus talks about the persistence of prayer in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. So let's turn there. Luke 18, verse 1. It says, One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with a constant request. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who will find, how many would he find on earth who have faith? So Jesus talks about the persistence of a widow. And for some of us, perhaps if we have children, we can relate to, to this story in particular. Perhaps there's a time when your kid wants something, maybe like a snack before dinner. And you try to do the noble thing and you're like, no, 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 you can't have a snack before dinner. But your, your kid basically um, argues with you and starts screaming, kicking, and all of a sudden whining, and then starts grasping for air because chocolate is their oxygen. And they are deprived from their sustenance. And this is even worse when it happens publicly, like in a supermarket. And everyone literally is just looking at you. And you're like, fine, Andrew, you can have the bounty bar. Just leave me alone. Because, and why do you relent? Why do you give in? Because you want to have peace in your life. Amen. Give me peace. And this is what it was like for the judge in Luke 18. Jesus says, a widow comes to him asking for justice. And he's like, I don't care about you or your God. Leave me alone. But she's persistent to the point that she's driving him crazy. And it's like, fine, 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 Agatha. Her name wasn't Agatha, but, you know, it helps. You know, fine, Agatha. In my mind, it's Agatha. I will do whatever it takes to get this woman justice because she is wearing me out and I want my sleep. And why is Jesus given this parable? How is this meant to encourage his disciples to carry on praying, especially when they're so disheartened? First of all, Jesus is making the point that God is not like the judge in this story, who doesn't care about this woman or her faith. If this wicked judge could answer this woman, how much more God, who actually cares about you, who actually loves you, unlike the judge, and who is eager to answer your prayer according to his will. But let's be honest, we're not always 
persistent. Like the disciples, we might get discouraged, we might get disheartened, and after an hour or so, or perhaps an awkward silence, or perhaps, you know, the end of a worship set, we're like, God, you didn't do anything for me. You didn't come through for me. So therefore, I just have to pave a way out for myself. Or maybe you're the type of person that seeks alternatives. Rather than praying, perhaps you go to a friend for help, a brother, a sister, a parent, or even a pastor. And don't get me wrong, this isn't a bad thing to seek out help from other people. But I would just like to note that that for something so powerful and that can bring the release and breakthrough into any situation, prayer is usually our last resort. And we don't always endure in it. You know, Scripture says in James chapter 5, verse 16, that the earnest prayer of the righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And who is the righteous person that Scripture is talking about? It's me. It's you. It's everyone who puts their faith and hope in Jesus Christ, who believes that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them. Therefore, they do not need to be plagued and bound down by their sin and shame. Jesus has made you righteous by his blood. This is who scripture is talking about. This is the righteous person. So your prayers are not devoid of power or significance. They are powerful and effective. And I love what Archbishop William Temple said. He said these words. He said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. Quite simple. And, you know, I really feel like this ties in well with the theme of worship. And just for a few moments, I want to talk about worship in the midst of difficulty. The Hebrew word for worship is shaka, and it literally means to bow down. And as we, and there's a great account in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 that actually talks about worship on display. Just to give some context, to just paint this story, King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, received some bad news that the Moabites and Ammonites were about to wage war on Judah and Jerusalem. They're about to, they'll come towards them to wage war against them. And obviously, King Jehoshaphat was alarmed, but I love this. Rather than him just remaining in his fear, Scripture says that he went to inquire of the Lord. In other words, he went to go and see what the Lord had to say about his situation. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on a man called Jehazel, which literally means God sees. And Jehazel said to King Jehoshaphat, he had a prophetic word. The Lord gave him a prophetic word to give to, to, give to King Jehoshaphat. And these were the words. We can read it in 2 Chronicles 2 verse 15. Jehazel says these words from the Lord. He says, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the paths of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the deserts of Jeril. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to fight face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. 
So the Lord is basically saying to Jehoshaphat that you will win this battle and you wouldn't even have to raise a finger. I will fight on behalf of you. What an encouraging word. And there's moments even in my life where, you know, a situation has happened and I'm just feeling insecure, I'm feeling fearful. And there's moments where literally for me personally, I've just entered my bedroom and I enter in feeling burdened. I enter in feeling anxious and scared. And I say these words, I'm like, God, what are you saying in the midst of this chaos around me? What are you saying? And as I wait, as I wait for the Lord to speak, the Lord gives me clarity and he gives me a a prophetic picture of what he is doing. And this is what it was like for King Jehoshaphat. And what does King Jehoshaphat do when he receives this word? Verse 18, we can see his response. Verse 18 says, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. So as you worship, you're surrendering. And with Jehoshaphat, as he got low before God in front of all the people, he was surrendering his military plans, he was surrendering his devices, he was surrendering his strength. And he acknowledged afresh that God, you are the only person that can get me and my people out of this situation. You are my help. Worship was a declaration of his faith. And in a world that tells you to get up, to fight for yourself, to pave your own way for yourself, worship, getting low before God, dropping your strategies and not seeking other alternatives before God, it's a declaration that you actually trust God. So when we sing songs that we just did on Sunday, we're not singing these songs because we're bored and we have nothing else to do. We do it because we are absolutely aware of our need, our constant need for God in every situation. And we are saying, God, we are willing to trust you. It is a posture of surrender. And in times of worship, I believe that false perceptions that have, have, that have been built up about God start to fade away. Often, we can forget what God is really like, especially in the pain and in the intensity of a situation. We might start to feel God is passive, indifferent, distant, or perhaps even wicked like the unjust judge in Luke chapter 18. But as we magnify God's holy name, those false perceptions and distorted viewpoints start to crumble. And the Holy Spirit starts to remind us afresh of God's goodness, his faithfulness, his justice, and his mercy, despite the situation at hand. And that brings strength to our weary and discouraged hearts. Our faith starts to enter in in those moments. And I love that it also can lead to spontaneous praise and celebration like we see in verse 21. Because all of a sudden, we are aware of the truth that God has been holding us all along and he hasn't left us. You know, worship reveals, you know, the reality of our situation, that God is still present with us. And the reason why I believe worship is so important is because worship gives us a clear perception of God. And a clear perception of God enables us to move and to pray boldly to a God that Jesus says, 
just going back to Luke 18, verse 6, to a God who will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night. So this is one of the first Sundays of the year. And my encouragement to you is to cultivate a lifestyle of worship. And we can do this just um, reiterating by having a right view of God and worship will help. And by being persistent and by not giving up, this is how we cultivate a lifestyle of prayer. By having a right view of God and by being persistent with it. You know, when I was a kid, um, I used to have dreams um, and visions of being a church leader. And literally at the age of six, I remember I used to dress up in a, you know, baggy Pentecostal suit. And I literally used to practice preaching salvation to my Garfield teddy bear. And I literally used to be like, Garfield, you shall be saved in Jesus' name. And I remember when I was 15 years old, my grandma... um, said to me, she called me, she said, Adewale, I said, yes, ma. She said, Adewale, do you still want to be a man of purpose, God's great minister, a man of destiny? And I looked at her and I said, no, grandma, I'm not about that life. (laughs) And legit, she was heartbroken, but she didn't say anything to me. But years later, when I was 21 years old, I had just finished my degree in economics and my grandma was visiting us again from Nigeria. And she called me again. She said, Adewale. Adewale is my full name, by the way. She said, Adewale. I said, yes, ma. And she said, she said, so now that you've finished university, what do you want to do afterwards? And I said to her, I said, actually, grandma, you know, I actually want to do an internship at this church in Leicester. And no exaggeration, my grandma screamed, Jesus! Jesus! She said, you have answered my prayers. She said, you kept my grandson and now you are keeping him. You are using him for your glory. Hallelujah! Literally, amen. Amen. And no exaggeration, my grandma collapsed on the floor and just started weeping, thanking Jesus. And I was thinking, he switched on God channel. Like, I was so confused. And I just watched her there, just thanking God, weeping for 20 minutes. And I realized, and I was honestly confused, like, what on earth, got, got, what on earth happened to her? But then I just realized, all of a sudden, that she had been praying for me for years that even when I was going off track as a teenager, she persisted in prayer over me. She fervently prayed, probably at 4 a.m., that God will keep her grandson, God will use her grandson, that her grandson will grow up to know Jesus and to love him. And similar things happened to many of my friends within the Nigerian community. You know, many of us, we have crazy stories and crazy crazy prodigal moments where we fell away from faith. But many of us came back to Jesus. And all of them have testified is primarily due to the fact that they had a praying mother, a father, or a loved one who wouldn't stop praying for them, just like the persistent women in Luke 18. And I tell you this story because for some of us, I know for many of us, we have 
friends, we have colleagues, perhaps we have a son, a daughter, a nephew or a niece who is not with the Lord and who perhaps is going off track. And I just want to encourage you that your prayers are not void, are not pointless. They're not ineffective. God is a miracle working God. And you know, one of the greatest miracles that I believe God ever does, that God does, is create a new heart in a person and put his Holy Spirit in them. God is able to transform a hard, rebellious heart into a tender, gentle heart that honors him. So let's be praying for our loved ones. God is still doing miracles. Amen? Amen. And that's why we are launching the 1102 Prayer Initiative, where we're inviting the whole church to switch on their alarms, at, to set their alarms for 11 a.m., 1102 a.m. each day, to take a moment to pray for three friends who they would like to see explore Jesus and get to know him.